0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 19th, 2021, we continue our series titled, Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Rejoice in Suffering, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Pre-Jesus, there there's always been a barrier between God and people. I mean, you go all the way back to the days of Moses when God resided, or his presence at that time, resided in a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And inside the courtyard was this, this huge tent. And the tent was divided into two parts. On one part, you had this larger section that was called the holy place. But then that second section, not the holy place, but the most holy place, or sometimes it's called the holy of holies, Inside of that, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was at, nobody except for the high priest got to go in one time, once a year. Why in the world was it so complicated? Sin. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51 tell us, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the the curtain of the temple, that's the veil that I was talking about that separates, you know, the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The veil, the curtain that separated us from God, was torn in two. Okay, what's that mean? It now means because of Jesus' death, there is no barrier between you and I and God. Nothing keeps us from going before the king.
1: We are going to, in fact, encounter trials and difficulties and Affliction and suffering in the course of our life, but this message is really about perspective. It's about understanding what is in fact God doing and also reflecting upon what has God done. It's important for us to understand that the purpose of uh, suffering is so that we would grow and that we would mature, that we would grow in our faith and our trust and our dependence upon Jesus Christ. I know that for me, uh, some many years ago, uh, one of our daughters, uh, we were uh, in a Nordstrom and we were walking through this Nordstrom and of course she was a toddler, maybe three years old, and as she's running around and doing typical toddler type things, she would love to run into the clothing racks and run, run through the clothes and get in the middle and then jump out and yell surprise and, and, and all those fantastic little kid things. Uh, but on this particular time that she was running into it, she didn't notice that the leg of the Uh, of the rack uh, was right there and as she hit that she split her eye just right right above her eye and of course as most head wounds it's incredibly bloody and it's all these different things it looks worse than it probably really is but of course as parents you know new parents um, uh, fairly new parents at that time I think we had a newborn and uh, and a toddler And uh, we, of course, are like, okay, well, we have to get to the emergency room. We have to get, she's going to need stitches. And all those things that start to go through you. And so as we went to, uh, in San Diego, we went to the children's hospital, and we were getting her uh, taken care of. And uh, there was great news. This uh, doctor had said, he goes, well, I got great news. He says, you know, a buddy or whatever happens to be here. Uh, And he's a plastic surgeon. He's normally not here. And I've asked him if he would come in and actually do the stitches, right? There's just good things happening. And uh, and our little girl, is he's like, oh, yeah, we'll put a couple stitches in there and you'll never know it ever even happened. And um, But they had to put her in this thing they called a papoose. And as a toddler, right, uh, even as a grown man, right, the, the worst thing you could probably do to me would be to uh, pin me down and make me claustrophobic. Um, and they're going to pin her down, they're going to strap her in this thing to where she can't wiggle or move. They put things on either side of her head and they strapped her head to the... Uh, to the gurney of this thing, and she can't move. And Jill, of course, had to leave the room because she didn't want to sit there and watch um, as our child is just screaming in agony in the difficulty. She's not understanding. She does not have full perspective as to what's going on here. And as I'm staring at her, trying to comfort her that it's all going to be good, it's all going to be good, her eyes would indicate that it's not good. And she is looking at me with those painful eyes as if I have failed as a human being, as I failed as a father. What are you doing? Why are you letting this happen to me? And I think oftentimes our life kind of looks at God that way. What are you doing? Why are you you letting this happen to me? And I'll say that in simplicity, she, just like me, didn't have full understanding and perspective as to what's going on. The question ultimately is, what is God doing? Why isn't he helping me? Life itself is nothing but a series of sequential moments. Each moment in our life has the same singular purpose in mind. Will I, in fact, be faithful to glorify God in this moment, the moment that God has brought to me? that regardless of what the day or what the moment is going like, will I be glad and will I rejoice in it? And the perspective is simple, but the living it out might be a little bit more complex. But in the simplicity of it, if we understand what God is doing and we understand all that God has done, then it might in fact help you get through the suffering or the affliction of that particular moment. When affliction and suffering hits us, I know that we experience at least two things. The first thing that we experience is that we see that we're actually not in control of our lives. Because no one woke up in the morning and said, man, I hope, I hope today is just a day of great suffering and affliction upon me. <laughs> but the second thing that we probably notice at that particular moment is that we've never been in control. Holiday suffering is unique. unique. There's loneliness, there's the recognition of lost loved ones, there's diagnosis and illness. There's conflicted relationships, people that haven't spoken to their loved ones in years. Maybe it's over something simple. But the text today is gonna challenge us to really see the beauty of Christ through the lens of suffering, through that lens of difficulty. And I will go as far to say that when we don't understand what God is doing, or at that moment we fail to recognize the character of God and all that He's done, you find yourself in a place of hopelessness. But when you understand what He's doing, when you understand what He's done, you're filled with incredible hope. Today, our text is in Romans 5 3 through 5. And it comes on the heels of, just as we watched in the video beforehand, you have access. You and I, as Christians, we have access to God the Father 24-7. And this access that we have brings us a rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. But then Paul says in verse three, he says, not only that, not only do we have the ability to rejoice in the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Today is a message of hope. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your truth, we thank you for your gift of hope. Help us, Lord, in this time of the year this time in our hearts and whatever we are experiencing, Lord, to find and see the hope of the gospel. Fill us now, Lord, with your grace and your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So if I were to define suffering, the Greek word that is used here is the word flipsis, right? Say that three times fast, flipsis, right? It means trouble or distress. It means oppression. It means tribulation, pressure. Noah Webster in his 1828 dictionary defined it this way, the bearing of pain, inconvenience or loss, pain that is endured, distress, loss or injury that's incurred, sufferings by pain or by sorrow, and sufferings by want or by wrongs. I think that it covers everything. But Paul says here in in three through five, that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. This seems oxymoronic. This seems like something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So the question is, is what kind of suffering? Paul himself, I will just say it's life, the sufferings of life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears Not not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So suffering can come from our great love of someone. Suffering can come in our anguish. Just as I anguished for my daughter as she didn't understand what we were doing. My love for her caused such affliction and anguish of my heart. Or 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul, on the heels of going through the list of his life, right, the the shipwrecks, the abandoned sea, uh, all the toils, all the dangers, all the difficulties, all the different things. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, and I'll start in verse 27, it says, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Anxiety here just means worry or concern or anxiety. It means, in fact, that a burden, I feel this burden as the pastor of counseling, as I meet with people and can hear the hardship in their lives. And I'm the first to admit that most hardships, in fact, when I say most, I'm just being kind, all hardships are a reflection of you. What has two thumbs and is the problem? This guy. And part of it is simply because we don't look at it through the lens of Christ. We don't look at it through the lens of what is in fact God doing. We may struggle with the actual goodness of God. But maybe none of our lives resemble the such suffering of Paul. But there are milestones and hurts that are so common for us all. The Christmas holiday season, as we mentioned, brings about loneliness. That's a real and present issue. Or the separation from or the loss of a loved one. Maybe this is the first Christmas without that loved one. It brings heartache. It could be just simply the pressures of the world. In fact, I look at most of the things that are going on in our world and I'm burdened for our youth. That you're growing up in a world that I don't know. Maybe the pressure that is upon your family, your job. Maybe it's just the trials of life. These trials that bring about the emotions of anger, anxiety, and hopelessness. I can simplify that for you. Anger comes from blocked goals. You can look at the blocked goals in your life and say, what is the blocked goal that's causing me to be angry? The question really is, is is it my block goal or is it God's block goal? Because one of those is focused on self-righteousness. Maybe, in fact, God is working you to another end and there's nothing actually to be angry about. An unclear goal is what results in anxiety or worry. We lack clarity, oftentimes, simply because we don't trust We're not paying attention to what God is actually doing. We're either projecting in a block goal of what I want him to do rather than accept the God that is. Maybe it's hopelessness that comes through unrealistic goals. Maybe I've established this idea that I don't want to have any difficulties in life. I just want to have a peaceful, loving, harmonious life and never have any conflicts whatsoever. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you are unrealistic in your goal. Last week, of course, Bob spoke about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. He talked about peace with God. He talked about access to the Father. He talked about security, and he talked about the hope that comes from that peace. In verse 3, Paul is now going to transition. He's going to say, not only that, not only do we have uh, peace with God, access to the Father, security and hope, but he's going to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing, right, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. This is a path and a trail to hope, not more anxiety, not more anger, not more hopelessness. I call this the Billy Mays Hayes verse of God's word. You remember him, he was selling sham wows or knives or something like that, right? But there's more. For 1995, you can have these six additional knives if you order right now. Paul is not going to more knives or more sham wow, but he is in fact saying that in addition to access to God the Father 24-7, there's more. You'll be able to rejoice in your suffering, This doesn't sound good, but it's incredible and incredibly positive. You see, because it ultimately produces hope, hope isn't wish, hope isn't a lottery ticket. Hope is, in fact, a confident expectation, that I have a confident expectation that God is working all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It is a deep trust in what God is in fact doing. In fact, that's our point one. It's suffering in light of what God is doing. Verses three and four tell us what God is in fact doing. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. Notice the progression here. Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is taking us through a process of what we would simply call sanctification. He's growing us, and he's leading us down to the path of complete and total hope. That it's going to produce an endurance. I'm long-suffering. That it's gonna, that, that long-suffering or that endurance will produce a character. Man, that guy follows God no matter what is happening in his life. And that character, that person who follows God, no matter what's happening, produces aspects of hope. A hope not just for them, but a hope for the people that are around them. It's similar to what James says in James 1, 2, and 4, in that there is a progression that centers on trials and difficulties. He says in verse 2, he says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers,' When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We call this the refiner's fire, this testing that is taking place. To understand this, we're going to smelt silver today. And the silver is all going to be put into this giant vat and the flames are going to be brought up so high that it causes the silver to melt. And as the melted silver comes to a place of boil, it boils all the impurities in the silver up to the top. A lot like our life, or maybe a lot like for my daughter's life when she didn't understand why she's strapped to this papoose. But the smelter is in fact going to take a screen and skim all of the impurities off the top of the silver. And he's gonna continue this process over and over and over again. Life is nothing but a series of sequential moments, each with the same singular purpose in mind. Will I glorify God in this moment? And as the smelter clears that all off the surface of the silver, there's gonna come a moment of test. And here's the test. The smelter is gonna put himself like this out over the vat of the silver. And the test is how well and how perfect is the smelter's reflection in the silver? Because the more pure the silver, the more holy the silver, the more that the smelter sees themselves. You see, the smelter is Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's transforming you, he's conforming you into the image of himself. Not your own unique being. He wants to see the beauty and the loveliness of himself, that he has transformed you into him. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The steadfastness, this this fetter, right? We sing that song sometimes, right, that that we're prone to wander. And we pray that God would fetter us to the stone, right? The, The stone of hope, that he would handcuff us so that I wouldn't wander, so that I would stay close to Christ. Paul is transitioning in this text from justification, how one is saved by what God has done, and now he's going to transition into sanctification and tell us what God is doing. But we oftentimes can't understand what God is doing if we don't first examine what God has done. Point two is suffering in light. In verse five, Paul's gonna talk about suffering in light of what God has done. I want you to look at it this way. Pastor Bob, he, he quoted that famous, probably bumper sticker, right? Where it says, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Paul says here in verse five, and hope does not put us to shame, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Don't ever forget the functionality of the triune God, the Trinity of God. Remember, right, that everything that is sent to you is sent by God the Father, Everything that you receive from God the Father is about the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And everything gets to you via the power of the Holy Spirit. This helpmate, this helper that God has sent is incredible because he's here for purpose, right? Contrary to popular belief in some churches, right? God is not three personalities. He's three persons, God is not some sort of schizophrenic that has three crazy personalities. God is, in fact, three distinct persons with one nature, which is Holy God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. It's the one whom is, in fact, working and orchestrating your life Paul's testimony this is his first testimony of the Holy Spirit in the in the letter to Rome and the reason why I said Bob's quote no Jesus no peace right no Jesus no peace is because if there's no Holy Spirit there's no hope but if you know the Holy Spirit then you know hope It's important for us to understand that God's love has been poured into our hearts via the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is here to sanctify you, to grow you into the image of himself. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that he is all-powerful, all-controlling, that the nature of God is holy, and that he is conforming you or, or transforming you into the image of himself. Remember in verse two, as Bob talked about it, he said, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How do we do this? How do we in fact do this? Well, Thomas spoke uh, three weeks ago on, uh, on Romans four, 20 through 25, when it's talked about this, it says in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as uh, he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, for our salvation, right? The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. When we understand what God has done through his son, then we begin to understand the very character of God, his love for you and his love for me, that he would sacrifice his son so that those whom believe in him would not perish but would have eternal and everlasting life. This can only happen if the Holy Spirit enters into you. I feel like I've said it a thousand times. Regeneration must precede faith. You are dead in your trespasses. You are made alive in Christ through the Holy Spirit inside of you. But what's important here is why Paul keeps quoting back to Abraham is what he's pointing to is a typology. He's talking about a foreshadow of that which is to come. The foreshadow of which is to come, this typology, is Abraham's willingness to sacrifice everything. In fact, for Christians today, we have to get into our mind, into our perspective, that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you everything. Sanctification is... The best word picture I can possibly come up with is God pulling you through a keyhole by your feet, stripping you of everything that is you and is in fact transforming you into the image of himself. That we would be more like Christ. But this typology that's given to us with Abraham, his willingness to sacrifice everything, including the very promised son that he waited so long to have. To sacrifice Isaac. It's probably one of the most haunting stories of the Old Testament because it far exceeds any papoose experience. I'm going to pack my kid up. I'm going to take them up on a hill and the plan is is I'm going to go on this hill and I'm going to sacrifice my child. This is but a mere glimpse into the anguish of our Lord's sacrifice. In the story of Abraham, right, Thomas illustrated about how Abraham put all his eggs in God's basket. No unbelief would make him waver. And just as Abraham bundled, but Isaac carried the sticks to the altar of the sacrifice. Jesus carried the wood of his cross. We see Jesus carry the wood to the altar. We see him suffering for us. But do we also see that God had already asked Abraham to leave his family, to give up his past, and is asking him to sacrifice Isaac, his only son of the promise? That he was asking him to surrender all of his future. If there is no Isaac, then there is no many nations. There is no promise. And just as Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, God sacrificed his only son, all eggs in God's basket. Complete and total trust. Trusting that God will provide. Abraham had his identity in the promises of God and his identity included that God will provide. In fact, in Genesis 22, where you can find the story, it says, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, behold, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? What a great kid question. Well, it's you. No, that's not what Abraham said. Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Isaac just went along in full trust a childlike faith. You see, Isaac was the offering, but the ram was a substitute for his sacrifice. Jesus died in place of you and me as a substitute for those that would believe in him. And it's because of Jesus, right? Because of what he's done, my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. It's where I find hope. And it's all because God sent me the helper. John 14, right, when Jesus himself says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit was sent by whom? God the Father. The Holy Spirit is sent in whose name? God the Son. The Holy Spirit gives you Holy Spirit power so that you can discern right and wrong in all that Christ has taught you. The Holy Spirit is the helper for you to grow so that in times of trials, in times of difficulties, you are not troubled, nor will you be afraid. It leads to the hope that we have in the Holy Spirit. It tells me what God is in fact doing, and it also at the same time reveals all that God has done. But so what? Monday, my job still. Is my job. My family issues are still my family issues. What am I supposed to do as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ? What's that gonna look like come those days? As I call our worship team and prayer team up as we close here, I want us to focus on this. When we endure through our sufferings, when our God-shaped character is proven steadfast when we shine with hope, even in the worst of times, that those around us who are suffering without hope will, in fact, take notice. You see, the hope isn't as much for you as it is for the person on your left and your right. Paul tells us why we experience affliction in 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 11. The first reason is so that we can experience the compassion of Christ. And the second reason is that we take our experience of the compassion of Christ and we share it with the people who are going through similar difficulties in life. This Christmas season, a time of despair, a time of maybe hopelessness in your neighborhood, I want us to use our experience of Christ's compassion to share the compassion that we've received all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Invite your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends, your family. There's invitation cards out at Info Central. Send it to them, invite them. Beg them to come so they can hear the gospel. But let's be a light in a dark world of despair by praying when we are knee-deep ourselves in trials of various kinds, knowing that we are being refined and sanctified I want your prayer to look like this that in these times of trials would you actually say God help me to rejoice in these sufferings trusting you all eggs in your basket because you love me and are at work in this refiner's fire to grow me in hope because I know what you're doing and it's good Second we pray God as I rejoice and grow in this hope Would you please use my sufferings as a light to those who have no hope so that they can be revealed in all that you, God, have done? You see, we shortchange the gospel when we don't let people see our suffering, our joy in suffering. We have an incredible model of hope Hebrews 12.2 tells us that looking to Jesus, right, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, what did he do? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He's the model to his glory may it be. You see, wonderfully when God is answering those prayers that I can show people what God is doing and I can show people what God has done that I can give them a Reason as to why I find joy in even the worst of times. My daughter's eyes looking at me as though I'd failed as I anguish in the hope of knowing that what's going on is actually for her good. It's painful, but you see the beauty in Christ. A man named Edwin Lewis Cole, he lived from 1922 to 2010. He's most famous for his men's ministries, Bible studies. He wrote a poem. I want you to listen to this poem because I think that Ed uh, Cole really captures a life of sacrifice, a life of joy and suffering. I hope that it encourages you. He starts by saying, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I love that statement. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God even unto salvation. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed for I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over that line. The love of God controls me. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, slight walking, small planning, smooth and ease, colorless dreams, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed roles. I no longer need prosperity, position, promotion, preeminence, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk in patience. I live by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast. My goal is the kingdom of God. My road is narrow, my, weighed, my, ro- my way is rough. My companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversaries, negotiate at the pool of popularity, or meander and maze at the mediocrity. I won't give up, I won't shut up, I won't let up until I have stayed up. Up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, spoken up for the cause of Christ. I must go on until He comes, give until I drop, teach until I know, run until He stops me, for I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, let the world see your joy in suffering. Because when they do, they see the face of Christ. The very reflection of the refiner. The only hope of the world. Let them see your joy in suffering. For it is good. And our God is even better. Amen? Join me as we worship this incredible God. Brothers and sisters, I know that you know that you're free. Christ is doing incredible things in you. And when you're encountering this kind of suffering, this kind of affliction, don't forget it. For the hope that we have is in all that he's done and even all that he's doing. You can endure these hardships. You can go through these difficulties. If your perspective understands, right, that God is doing great things. He is working things to your good. For he is, in fact, a good God. Minister to one another. God bless you. Merry Christmas.